Before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about a free three-act worksheet to help you structure your story. Whether you're a plotter or a pantser, a novelist or short fiction writer, this three-act worksheet will help you navigate your material and even begin each new story with a better plan. Download yours at nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. Stop getting stuck in the middle of your draft. Go grab this free worksheet, nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. How do we craft an ending that lands with the reader? An ending that feels simultaneously surprising and inevitable. Do we end with an epiphany, a revelation, a redemption? I'm Nancy Pinuccio, and on today's episode of Writer Unleashed, we're going to discuss five different ways of thinking about character change so that our endings aren't too tidy, predictable, or lame. Stay tuned. Writer Unleashed is for you, a writer who has a story you want to bring onto the page and into the hearts and minds of readers. I'm Nancy Pinuccio, writer, editor, and writing coach, and each week we'll explore techniques, mindsets, and inspiration for writing stories readers can't put down. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's begin. If your story is going to pull your reader through to the end, there's got to be change. There's got to be movement. Otherwise, the story and the characters are static, and that's not much fun for the reader or for you. But sometimes writers misconstrue this change to mean that our main character must experience an epiphany, revelation, or redemption at the end of the story. Now, there's nothing wrong with your character having an epiphany, revelation, or insight. The problem happens when the change comes without any traction leading up to that transformational moment without subtle hints and slow, progressive emotional shifts that lead up to that final moment. And this can result in the big bang ending, the sudden life-altering realization, a blast of insight, a bolt of unexpected wisdom. Suddenly he realized... So the ending then feels like a tacked-on appendage rather than an organic outcome of all that has come before. And to the reader, the ending feels unearned, unconvincing. That's because we sometimes think of the change as one more requirement of our story, and this can lead to what David Jouse calls the literary equivalent of a faked orgasm. Now, I personally prefer stories where I get a sense of the characters going on with their lives after the last page. The the ending isn't some absolute truth. It just gives the character a place to land safely for a moment. So here are five things to keep in mind as you craft your story's ending. Number one, interesting change over time. One of the most common writing pitfalls is this 
tendency to introduce a character in the beginning, and it may be a gorgeous introduction, but the writer front loads all of the character's history and backstory or physical description in the first chapter or the first few pages of the story, or sometimes they devote a whole chapter to the character's backstory. And they do this in the hope that this will sustain the rest of the narrative. And even though the introductions and backstory may be beautifully written, the characters remain relatively static. It reads like portraiture, not characterization. You know, change is fluid. Character is fluid. Your character is evolving and transforming all throughout the story. Characters are revealed, and they're revealed over time. They're revealed by how they handle challenges, and they're revealed over time just like people are. Number two, change in the reader. So here's a frustrating truth. In life, despite crises, challenges, and changes in circumstance, and and so forth, people often don't, can't, or refuse to change. There isn't always a lesson. About her book of essays, The Unspeakable, and other topics of discussion, Megan Dom says this, the culture is obsessed with the idea that if you go through a crisis, you're going to come out of it a better person. She says she's frustrated with the pressure we put on people who are suffering to have epiphanies where suddenly it all makes sense. This redemption pressure is sentimentality's aggressive shadow, a way of forcing people in terrible situations to make us feel better about what they've been through. But sometimes you don't learn anything. It is what it is, and there is no closure. So rather than epiphany, her goal as a writer is conversion, turning a particular experience into something bigger, something that's universal, and in the process, helping readers to see the world in a new, unsentimental light, emboldened to speak up about how they really feel. So the change doesn't necessarily have to happen with the character, the shift can be in the reader. It's not always the character who changes, it's the reader's understanding of him that transforms. And this shift happens because the writer has turned the character over and over, showing this angle, then that angle, then that one, until we see something that was there all the time, but hidden from view. And this is all discovered through the author's own exploration of the material. Richard Strout from Andrew DeBoost's story, Killings, is such a character. Now, you may remember this the movie version of the book, In the Bedroom. And we start out seeing Richard Strout as this stereotypical raging psychopath who can't control his anger and jealousy over his ex-wife's new lover. And in a fit of jealous rage, he shoots and murders him. But as the story progresses, we see him from different angles that are at odds with our initial impressions. For example, his house is fastidiously neat and organized and clean. He has a portrait of his once happy family framed in the hall. And we start to see him as 
just this um, young man grappling with loss and who his act notwithstanding is vulnerable and even gullible. So he hasn't changed. Our viewpoint of him has changed. So when the father of the murder victim shoots and kills Strout at the story's climax, we feel absolutely no vindication. And the story ends with the grieving parents in bed when Matt Fowler comes home after shooting Richard Strout, and the wife asks, did you do it? Now, we know that these parents are not going to get the vindication they seek. Strout's death is not going to give them um, a sense of closure. We know this because we have a complicated reaction, and so does Matt Fowler. He's conflicted about killing his son's murderer, and he knows that this is not going to quell their grief. So number two, change in the reader. But it's hard to talk about the change that happens at the end of a story without talking about the change that happens in the beginning of the story, which leads me to number three. Look for clues in your story's opening. Here's something Douglas Bauer says. The ending of a story is made up of and relies on all that has come before it. It gets its meaning and derives its relevance from the orchestrated layers of complexity that lead up to it, and in some fashion, it repeats with a final echoing lucidity the essential strand of melody that was offered at the start. The challenge we face as writers, he says, is how to write an ending that benefits from all the complicated momentum that has been funneled into it. We meet characters in the middle of things, in the middle of their lives, ideally where they're already in an unstable situation. So when we meet them, life as they know it is about to give way. So when we meet the Fowlers, for example, they're burying their son. They're at his funeral. And here's Megan Dom's opening to her essay about her mother. People who weren't there like to say that my mother died at home, surrounded by loving family. This is technically true, though it was just my brother and me, and he was looking at Facebook, and I was reading a profile of Hillary Clinton in the December 2009 issue of Vogue. So when we meet characters on page one, there's been an upheaval. It could be something good, it could be something bad, thrilling, or confusing, but it's something that will torque their lives in a different direction. And they'll react to that upheaval by making a series of choices along the way, either through their actions or by the way they choose to perceive the events. As Clark Blaze says, the rest of the story will be an attempt to draw out the inferences of that earlier upheaval. Clark Blaze defines climax in story as the moment that the character realizes the true, the devastating meaning of then. He will try to ignore it. He will try to start again. So, for example, in the novel Alita, Humbert moves with Lolita from town to town, and he thinks he can escape the reality of what he's doing. He thinks he can keep it a secret, and in keeping it secret, he thinks he can absolve his own guilt 
Of course, his denial is not sustainable, even though he tries again and again to stay in denial. So we could say that then was the moment he first encountered and became obsessively infatuated with Lolita. And There's a scene at the end of the novel where Humbert experiences clarified insight. He sits on a stone parapet at the precipice side of a highway, and there's that moment when he realizes the true, the devastating meaning of then. He hears children's voices as they're playing in the distance, and he hears their laughter and he hears the crack of bats and he hears a toy wagon and so forth. But what he realizes in that moment is the devastating reality is not that Lolita is no longer with him, but that her voice is not part of that concord of other children's voices. So he realizes that he has really robbed her of a normal childhood and he realizes the harm that he's really done. Which leads me to number four, accumulated wisdom. So you can also think of your character's change as this accumulated wisdom or self-knowledge. And this is something we explored back in episode one. Now, wisdom accrues over time. It doesn't just strike like a bolt of lightning in one fell swoop of an instant. And we often resist our hardest lessons. Why? Because they're the most painful and uncomfortable. They force us to confront our biggest weaknesses. Now, think about your own tendencies. Change is deeply uncomfortable. We tend to make the same mistakes and wrong choices over and over in different contexts, in different settings and situations or different environments. But it often takes a crisis of sorts, or we have to hit rock bottom in order to change our behavior or change our thinking. Now, Humbert's climactic realization doesn't come suddenly. He doesn't suddenly gain wisdom that what he's done to Lolita is wrong and irreparably damaging, that truth has been accumulating. It's been gaining momentum progressively throughout the novel. That knowledge has been there all the time, but it's been suppressed. It's been denied. It's been subterfuged until he just couldn't bear the weight of it anymore, which leads me to number five, progressive disburdenment. This is a concept I learned from the novelist Christopher Knoll, who likes to think of the movement or change within a character or story as progressive disburdenment. This is a term he borrowed from a music composer. Now, progressive disburdenment doesn't necessarily refer to a character's emotional burden, as in Lolita. It could, but it could also refer to a package of reality that's put forth in the narrative. So it's progressive. It's not put on in the middle or fully at the end. So for example, Richard Strout has been revealed slowly throughout the story. So it's a package of reality that's put forth progressively. Humbert's truth has been bearing pressure on the story the whole time. And when he finally voices that truth, when he unburdens, we take a breath. So a great ending doesn't have to be invented. Most of the time, it just needs to be recognized. 
So here's an exercise to help you avoid the Big Bang summation, the apocalyptic change. Take a story you think you've finished and find an alternate ending that's maybe more subtle and enigmatic. Rather than invent your ending, see if you can recognize it hiding somewhere in your story. Locate the moment of then when your character made a fatal choice or something happened that upended your character's life. It might be the subtlest hint. It might be hiding in the opening paragraph. It might be hiding out in an image early or midway through your story. Sometimes it's a few paragraphs or pages before where you think your story should end, but most often your ending is hiding out somewhere in the body of your story. So pay attention to your own responses as you read through your material. Trust your instincts here. Remember, you're still exploring your material and experimenting at this stage. So stay open, relaxed, and receptive to what's already there on the page. Remember, number one, interesting change over time. Number two, a shift in the reader. Number three, clues in your story's opening. Number four, accumulating wisdom. And number five, progressive disburdenment. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope these five tips help you craft a stellar ending to your story. If you like this episode, please share it. And if you haven't subscribed yet, hop on board. I come to you each week jam-packed with writing techniques and inspiration so you can write stories that matter to you and that matter to your readers. I'll see you next week, same time, same place. Till then, keep on writing, and I'll talk to you soon.